Welcome to the Life in the Stocks podcast, ladies and gentlemen. My name's Matt Stocks. I'm the host, and the show features unedited, in-depth, candid conversations with a wide range of musicians, actors, comedians, and creatives. If you're not already, be sure to subscribe to Life in the Stocks on your favorite podcast platform. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and indeed all major podcast platforms. Be sure to give me a follow on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok as well, at MattStocksDJ. That way you can keep up to date with all of my live Q&A dates, my DJ performances, and of course, who's coming up on the show as well. But without further ado, let's crack on with the show, shall we? Here we go. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. When I pissed a perfect rainbow And taste every drug screen I needed help, so I called up this skinhead, Lisa Brownlee's old boyfriend, Noah Levine. He had a place against the stream, and he's a punk from Santa Cruz, a Buddhist with a Jewish name. How could I ever lose? He'd give me a pro rate and a triple AAA discount if I checked into his mansion and paid the right amount. Hi, Lisa. Sorry, I sat down. I realized I've forgotten my cup of tea. We can't have that. I know. I was thinking <laughs> I should have mine too. You know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close this window behind me. It's so bright. It's hard for me to see what's happening here. Yeah, do your thing. I readjusted my view. Loving the Clash poster. Yeah, that is a uh, an original Subway, Subway size version of that. I would expect nothing less from you. All right. Yeah, that's a little bit better. I changed this view a little bit because I just realized every time I do a Zoom, it's like my kitchen in the background, which is not. <laughs> I mean, the amount of time I've been doing it, you'd think I'd have a better setup. But um, yeah, my lighting isn't the best, but it's never fine. Learned. Are you doing all right? You've got a lot on your mind. Just busy, 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 busy. Yeah, I'm doing all right. I mean, it's, uh, you know, we're getting we're getting close. We're getting close to a we've been working on so hard for the last couple of years so yeah and i also you know i just naturally have had insomnia for a very long time but sometimes it's great and sometimes it's not and last night not so great <laughs> it's when you get to about five in the morning and you know you've got to be up within an hour or two and it's that dreaded time where you're like it's not even worth going to sleep now do i just stay up all night but then you go no that's insane and eventually you kind of tie yourself out and then find that half an hour of sleep from that moment. But I, I get it a lot as well. I think we're similar in the sense that we're both always on the go, juggling a million and one things. And it is hard at the end of the day when your brain's always in overdrive, thinking of everything that you've done and got to do to switch off. I've not mastered it. I don't know how to switch off still. Yeah, I mean, and sometimes it's it's probably for really great reason. I Last night I went to a, a really fun... Um, Brit pop cover show with uh, our our buddy Michael T and they were doing all these incredible songs like so fun blur and pulp and and it was just you know I was just so amped up from coming home from that and I was like oh this you know I was like in that good amped up space but then as soon as I I was so tired and as soon as I laid down it was like no wide awake (laughs) so buzzing yeah. And I just, I try not to, when this happens to look at my phone, like I go, don't pick up your phone. Cause you'll go down the, 
rabbit hole. So I don't like I stay away from my phone during during insomnia because as a matter of fact, let me turn this ringer off right now. Because I know it'll just there's just no stopping that. I'll just be looking TikTok and recipes for the air fryer and all sorts of stuff. <laughs> I avoid TikTok. That's the one thing I, I've managed to avoid. It's it's a it's a rabbit hole. So I hear. I I laugh at <laughs> well, but I use it for recipes. Honestly, that's how I got onto it. Somebody's like, you know, it's more than just dancing. I go like, what? And then, you know, some animals and some some recipes in real life. That's how I that's how I kind of got started. I, I don't ever post on it or anything. Now I made like maybe one or two posts with my cats, but nothing more. <laughs> So where are you from originally? Are you a New Yorker born and raised? No, I uh, I was born in Virginia and I was raised in South Florida, like Fort Lauderdale, Miami, that zone. And then I kind of left from there and it's been everything from California in between. I spent probably the longest period of time in, uh, in San Francisco, 20 plus years there. I also lived in Atlanta and I lived in Tampa. I lived all over the place, but I've been in New York. Let's see, I moved here in 2010. What brought you to New York then? Work, life, love, all of it? Well, you know, I, I always knew that I wanted to live in New York, but the specific opportunity arose where, you know, Arturo Vegas was a very good friend of mine, and I had always visit when I would be in New York, and I always said, if, if a space ever opens up in the loft, let me know, because I would love to live here with you. And he said, well, my roommate's moving out, and you could take the room. So I started instantaneously paying rent right then at that moment and still lived in San Francisco touring for like another few months. So it, I think it was just the opportunity to live with a close friend and to live in a historic building and already have this built in life that I, that I would expect out of New York when I'm, when I moved here. Well, there's so much I want to ask you about because, you know, I don't really know anything about you. I know that you are a lifer. <laughs> and, and and you've been in this game for a, for a minute or two, but so where for you does your love of music and and like punk and rock and roll music in particular begin? Is it passed down from parents or an older sibling? Do you find it yourself? What's the band, the show, the moment that kind of ignites that fire in you as a kid? Well, I uh, I had lots of aunts and uncles that weren't actually that much older than me, so they they were going to shows when I was young. I think. I'm trying to think one of the first shows I saw, I believe was Peter Frampton, like Frampton comes alive, like in mm -hmm. pink pants and, and, uh, you know, I was just always around them and they started taking me to shows, but my grandfather actually started buying me vinyl. Like I remember three, like the three big records that I ever got was I got, um, Sugar Hill Gang. I got, the Beatles, what used to be called the Butcher Babies, I think it was like all those uh, mannequins with all the meat chopped up all over them. So that was I got that record and I got a Clash record. And, you know, there we go down the Clash, the Clash lane. I, I've always loved like British, British punk. That's sort of that's I'm more of a definitely that direction than than any U.S. You know, I would be pistols over another band for example well i'm with you on that it's not just my uk bias i believe that uh the uk punk is the superior product sorry to everybody <laughs> listening to this um so what is it about it that originally draws you in is it just the difference the exoticism of this unfamiliar culture or is it just the sound the melody the fashion like is it an aesthetical thing or is it like a you know a foreign allure bringing you I in a, a 360 thing i mean i loved every single solitary thing about the clash i loved reggae music like i say i lived in south florida so i was around different types of like an island cuban all sorts of different world music vibe and uh, obviously the aesthetic was really super pleasing to me i loved i mean i was already dressing in all military looking stuff anyway that was something i really loved that just the look of it i loved just the kind of like one love vibe i really just jived really hard with everything the clash was about when i was when i was young and then to be fair i was growing up in a in south florida at the time was still heavily racial racial bias and really uh i don't know it just felt like i was surrounded by racism everywhere in florida and i still feel like it's like that and i feel like i escaped into the music of the clash 
by and then listening to Sugar Hill Gang and all this, you know, all the music that I was really into. I felt like it it kind of was a bold statement for me against racism. Did you find a scene pretty quick in terms of other people your age who were on the same musical trip? And was there bands in, in any of the areas that you were growing up in that were doing stuff of note? Or was it more just you were getting this UK stuff and it wouldn't be till later on that you found local, wherever you were local to at that point, bands that, that spoke to you as well? Well, to be fair, I think I was really more into like industrial music. Like I was really about, I started DJing industrial music. I was really into like Skinny Puppy and, you know, Sisters of Mercy and, you know, even stuff like Bad House. But that was really, I don't think that, punk really turned out to be my first love. I think I loved The Clash, right? And I wasn't thinking about that as punk. I just thought of it as a type of music. But I was really at that, probably at that time, at the beginning of my musical deep dive, it would be more about like probably industrial music, I would say. I was really into listening to that, playing that, just kind of the dark darkness of that. I, that was my aesthetic as well. I looked pretty, pretty crazy, like the min, young you know, early ministry vibe. You When you say you look crazy, how so? <laughs> I mean, probably I started getting tattooed really young and I had probably some tribal stuff and I shaved bits of my hair in certain ways and, you know, the kind of stuff that your parents wouldn't kick you out of the house for and eventually did, so. <laughs> they did, did they? Do your folks not approve? Oh, yeah, it's a stepfather. Yeah, I, I definitely was was kicked out of my house at a young age and it was uh, revolving around being tattooed and is that what took you out west to california no i stuck around for a little bit i you know i was I, I professionally started my life as a as a hairdresser and i think it all kind of ends up tying together in some way because i was a hairdresser and then i was doing different people's hair then i ended up you know i ended up on Lollapalooza with ministry right like that's kind of how how that that all came together it, it's weird but i think florida was a really heavily industrial music type of vibe and that and we're talking about you know mid 80s sort of stuff when it was wild mm -hmm, when it and was wild really exciting really fucking out there um so that's the kind of career path is it is originally you're cutting hair and then i guess it's all self-expression isn't it and it's all a form of of art in one way shape or form so how do you meet ministry i was working at a club in in florida i was working at a, a place called the masquerade in tampa and so i was doing you know all sorts of shows there all the time so everybody was, was coming through and i realized you know i loved being in that environment i was like working at the door and then i started doing like booking and promotion and i started doing a variety of things but i i just kind of I don't even, you know, if I, if I really racked my brain, I could not even figure out to tell you how I ended up there. But next thing I know, I am at Lollapalooza, right? On the road with, with ministry and way over my head, which is where I met Kevin Lyman, who then put me on a different trajectory. Right. But, uh, but I knew it, like I knew, I knew I could still do hair and still be involved in music at the same time. It was just, it was just there. It was just a passion to be part of what was going on. I never wanted to, I never wanted to like pick up an instrument and doing any of that myself. I always wanted to be on the, the management side, on the other side of the curtain, right? Making, making it all happen. Yeah. I mean, that's, it's similar in some ways to what I like to do. You know, I, I don't consider myself obviously a manager and I don't do that side of, of things, but I like to document what's going on in the same way. I've never been inclined to want to pick up an instrument or do music myself, but you know, the whole culture and, and 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 as, as time's gone on, it's more people's stories that that's what really draws and, and fascinates me now, and how people move through life and, and you know end up where they eventually end up. And I think at that time you're talking about as well, because Kevin obviously started, didn't he, doing Lollapalooza, and that was where he kind of got the idea for what would become the Warp Tour. And it seemed like at that time everybody was inventing roles that perhaps didn't exist before. Because it was just such a creative time and it was there for the taking. If you wanted to kind of be involved in some way and there wasn't a job for you, you could kind of just almost invent one that was valuable and important. Yeah. I mean, look, I 100% got my career based off of that, particularly when it comes to the Warped Tour years. Like 
I just kept creating jobs that didn't exist, like take care of the bus drivers, right? Like you see an issue where where there probably was none, but you could improve it and make it a job. So, so yeah, absolutely. I 100% agree with that. Just recreating job outside of your basic tour manager, audio engineer, tech sort of jobs. You, you could create other jobs that became exceptionally necessary. And I, I see that now with um, tour photographers. Like we never toured with a tour photographer. Now that is a mandatory position that, that people have to tour the globe being the tour photographer for the band. I imagine at that time as well, it's a bit of a fucking chaos zone, right? And so is there a distinct lack of organization with a lot of these live events? And is that where people like you come in is to try and present some order to the chaos? Well, I think it, I think it's just working in, in groups. Like you got so much more power when you're not working isolated, like you've got all of these people trying to make this massive project happen, which is where I, I really shine, right? Like working in isolation over a pandemic. And now, you know, most of the stuff I do is working at home. And I realize I can do that, but I thrive so much better in a, in a place where everybody's energy is going to make that one thing better, like in person, like as soon as I get on tour, I'm just shining. Like I just, this is how I, how I work best, right? Like making it happen instead of just, back here paper pushing the keys on the keys all day on the keyboard on the zooms this is how it starts but it's not it's not you know it's not how i definitely thrive and i think i need to be around the rest of the people who have that same desire to make that project happen make it happen what was your first taste of of, of life on the road i mean i i guess Lollapalooza was probably be it as far as like touring to that capacity, like going out on a giant festival thing. So I think my most of my background is in festival touring, right? Is way less in like tour managing a band. I started doing that later in my career, but everything I did was revolved around, you know, 20, 30, 40 bands, massive, massive movement, massive things moving down the road. But when I was still back in Florida, I realized you know, I still want to get involved in music, but it's not happening yet. So we started, I started working with people locally, definitely around the skateboard scene, making backyard parties happen, right? Like somebody would have a skate ramp and somebody would have a band and all these people have nothing to do. So why don't we have a backyard party? That was, that was kind of the vibe in, in Florida was backyard parties and skate, skate ramp parties and bands playing in the backyard and that sort of like thing. And I thought to myself, I want to become the biggest fish in this really small pond where I become like I've outgrown what's going on here and what's the next step would be going the road. I love it. Can I ask you a, an upfront question and give me an honest answer if you wish. Do you feel like that was a more magical time than now for culture and, and art and music? Because you know, without being the cynical on the other side of the good times guy, I definitely feel like there was magic in the air around that time. And it feels like with technology and the way things are now, there's still great music, of course, and there's still exciting events and, you know, there's still things to be enjoyed and experienced by the plenty. But I do think there was that danger to some extent, but just that fresh excitement of that time that I feel like has kind of gone a little in today's world yeah. i mean i think that but it's also because the more we live the more we learn the more almost jaded we become right because it's not it, you don't have that fresh new excitement of what what's touring like and what's going on a bus like and what's getting catering like you know there's that none of that will ever be new again so it's pretty hard i would say at this juncture of how long i've been doing this for something to seem fresh and new and not just ordinary outside of being extraordinary which it was in the beginning, right? Everything with from the music and beyond, just working with that many people involved in the same thing. So so yeah, I don't I don't know what what would be the next thing that would be like, wow, this is really different. This is really that that same kind of charge you had in the beginning when you first experienced it. It's just now it's just uh you know almost like robotical. Every it's just you know you know exactly what's gonna happen. There might be some you might get COVID and, out in the world and 
tours have to end and everybody has to switch gears. But uh, but yeah, it's it's I think I've become a little jaded to it. Well, making a museum from scratch must be a fresh and new experience. And we will there get to that. We, we will get to that in a minute. I can't let you uh, get away. Can, can you share some or any or one uh, warped story of, of <laughs> Ill, uh, Ill, Ill, Ill repute? Because you must have seen and witnessed nearly all manner of behaviors during how many years were you on on that tour doing it 24 wow 24 out of 25 so wow so i mean other than kevin no one's seen more of it than you right yeah it's myself kevin um our production manager carrie nicholson um let's see if there was anybody else i i think i think it's down to those three of us that were that were there that long so i mean look there's the show doesn't really happen till the show is over. That's when the show really happens when it's, when it's after hours and we're having the, the barbecues and the, you know, that's where you you got all these people, 70 plus bands just in a parking lot where with nowhere to go, nothing to do. Everybody just buses on top of buses. And that was the real thrill for me at the end of the night where, you know, it's, you know, one of my favorite stories would be our favorite memories would be when the when the specials came out on the warp tour and a lot of the bands weren't familiar with the specials or when the damned came on the warp tour like for me when the damn when we got the damned on the warp tour i was just my mind was blown because every night you're just chilling by the bus with with the band and because I got to know them more, I got an opportunity to bring people like one of my favorite experiences is bringing Matt Skiba on the damned bus to meet Captain Sensible. And like what that experience was for him was like, this is actually happening. But there was just so many types of bands and so many types of people. And we'd all just be hanging out in a parking lot together after the show, like jamming music or having barbecues or just getting to know everybody that that was the real thrill for me it was everything that happened after the show not not during the show was a lot of it filmed was any of it filmed like were people taking camcorders and i know it's obviously way before the time of smartphones the early years but was was there a lot of like documentation occurring or was it just everybody was just in the moment and being you know in so. it i mean we'll we'll Again, we'll get to this with the museum, but right now, over the years, like I say, I've been on since Lollapalooza, and I've always like take taken Polaroid pictures, and I've always kind of had a camera around myself, just kind of capturing uh, just snapshots, right, candid stuff. So um, Mona is in San Francisco, where most of my storage stuff is, and she said she opened up my storage, and there's just like a giant wine barrel full of photos. And she's like, "Can you imagine what is in?" in this barrel like over the years the amount of things that must be photos in this barrel and i go yeah i can i can definitely imagine what what's in there right like we're just dying to dump that barrel out and see but i did i think people were taking a lot of pictures and we did you know the iphone did come out while we were on warp tour and i remember people just like capturing it but it was a lot a lot more in the moment out for sure was there a lot of romances born on the road that lasted were there any that lasted oh lasted <laughs> obviously there's a lot of copulating going on i imagine but... i cannot think of one i i really cannot think of one single romance that started out on work tour and ended that people are still together now i know everybody got uh tada catering always had the the pretty hot girls working and all the band i felt like all the bands were taking off at the end of tours marrying girls from the catering <laughs> from tada catering <laughs> <laughs> catering for me is the best part of touring i do these monster truck shows in, in arenas in the uk and the level of catering there you know i imagine it's close to what like bands like aerosmith and the stones have on the road it's so amazing i'm just like oh my god i can't believe like i live better on the road when i'm out yeah. doing those shows than i do when i'm at home so and that's a huge undertaking if you imagine the warp tour at one point we crossed the canadian border i think with over 700 people on our immigration which means that many people are eating breakfast, lunch, and dinner every day in a different location. So the real heroes of the Warp Tour for me have always been catering. You know, that's that they are. That's the way we get down the road, and that's a lot of food to produce every day for that many people. How would you travel? Would you go around on your own, or would you go with bands or mix and match? What for the for Warp Tour? Yeah, 
I uh, traveled in in the production bus, so I was riding in in the production bus with with Lyman and and those folks, and and Arturo Vega when he was out with. That's how we got really close was during those years sharing bus together. And what was his role out there? For the, I guess for those who don't know, he was the guy who designed the Ramones logo, right? Amongst many other things, but he that, was that... one of the Ramones. He helped with their everything, their imagery, but he certainly designed the logo and helped them create T-shirts and. Uh, you know, they all lived in that loft, which was so historic. But our, um, he, Arturo brought um, a, room, a traveling Ramones museum out on the Warp Tour. So oh, wow. he, had, he had that exhibit out on the Warp Tour. They never played it, no? Um, no. Man, that would have been something. I feel like they just missed the boat with, like, if they would have just lived a little longer, a couple of them, mm-hmm. they could have had such an amazing renaissance. Yeah, I mean, look, I'm a huge. If I if I were to start putting my camera all around the room, you'd see I have a ton of ton of Ramon stuff. I'm, I am, even though I said I love my British punk, I still I still love my East Coast punk as well. I'm more of an East Coast punk girl than a West Coast punk girl. Sorry, West Coast. <laughs> well, I think again, East Coast for me is is where it's at. That whole CBGB scene, whether it's television, Suicide, Modern Lovers, that whole early to mid i guess yeah mid 70s scene east coast for me is where the american punk thrives so well we've got how many decades now five decades worth of music to try and cram into a building and tell a story and (laughs) so i mean is it is it two years is it more than how long have you been working on this punk rock museum now roughly what is it or exactly even you know i'd say it's I'd say it's two years, a little over two years, right? Two years and a couple of months, like December. December. It was near December two years ago that the idea was uh, born and then exploded very quickly. And and put me in the picture of the idea itself, where it came from, who it came from. Sure. I mean, this is going to be one of those tales that yeah, right there. <laughs> yeah. over the years. And we're like, wait, that's not what happened. But I mean... It, the long and short of it is that uh, Fat Mike had just gotten out of rehab and uh, Max from the Swing and Utters went to stay with Mike uh, to hang and be a buddy with him. And the background of Max and I is we we dated forever when he was in Swing and Utters. So it was always the Max and Lisa couple. And then that's back when Mike was with Aaron. So the four of us always did everything together for years in, in the Bay Area. So Mike and Max were hanging. They were in uh, California. And I guess Mike had pitched to Max that he wanted to open up a, like a punk store in Las Vegas or a record shop and call it Max and Lisa's. And they called me super early in the morning and they go, we want to open up this record store, Max and Lisa's. And I'm like, no way. I don't want to have anything to do with this at all. Like I'm not, I'm not interested. I don't want to go back to this. I Mike and I used to do a magazine together. If you remember punk rock confidential, we did that with Sonny and, and those folks. So, so we had some experience outside of just being friends working together in the past. And I'm like, I don't want to work with Mike. Sorry, I'm not doing it. I love Mike as my friend, but we're not working together. So anyway, the the next day comes and uh, Mike calls me specifically and he tells me about it. And I said, you know what? If you do this, why not make it more of uh, like collect artifacts and put them up make it more of a museum type vibe because i remember during that time i'd been talking to a bunch of different people specifically like the bouncing souls and the descendants and different people that had all these big major anniversaries coming up and they'd been home through covid so they'd everybody'd been going through their storage and going oh my gosh look at all this stuff we have over the 30 years or whatever and i had just done an interview for the uh, uh bouncing souls book i think it was their 30th anniversary so I started thinking about all these people that we knew and all this stuff that they had and how it's just sitting around in storage and part of, you know, part of the joy of saving all that stuff is being able to share it with people. So that is how it started. I just said, why don't we make it more like a museum? People aren't buying records now. We can do it this way. And that that stuck. That idea stuck. And uh, Mike's like, yes, that's what we're doing. Let's get a team together. And it was. I would say within five days, it was done deal. It was like, you know, you got the business name, you you formed the, you formed the group of people at the core and 
just started picking up the phone, calling people, saying, we're going to do this. Are you going to support it? Do you want to do you want to participate? Do you want to loan us stuff? We had no idea. Probably still don't know how a museum is run. So I was, thank you, Google. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. For, you know, what people want to say about Mike, there's many things that I think are great about him, but one of my favorite things about him is he's always the kind of person, if he comes up with an idea, he seems to see it through. And he's, you know, said to me in the podcast we did recently that, without you and your direction and you know in your initial idea even it wouldn't even be what it is so it seems like the nucleus of it is very much you too and and so how do then the other players come in do they volunteer like are you approaching people to just say do you want to be involved and they're saying i want to be really like you know the vinnies and the fletchers and, and and the melanies how does this little team crack team get together um well we it, you know as an me, Mike, and Max, and out of that people, out of that group, the only actual doer would have been me, the only person who's going to get on the computer or get on the phone, right? These are the idea guys. These are the musicians. These are not the people who are like going to sit down at the computer and do the research. So, uh, you know, Jeb was with us on the Warp Tour forever. Mike, our, um, Max, and Jeb were talking daily, and Jeb was looking for something new to do. And we, I know what Jeb's capable of. Jeb is best friends with Vinny for a long time. Vinny, we all know what Vinny's capable of. There was many facets of stuff that he does. Um, I knew I had to have my right hand, which was Mona. She She's like the second me, right? Because she, she's, a, she's a workhorse. She can get stuff done. And we realized even with that amount of people, it's still not enough. This is a massive, massive project. So, uh, we brought, we kept bringing people in temporarily. Kathy Mason, she had so much, so many people and everybody was looking for something to do because it was right after pandemic, right? So you had all these people right for the picking to, to, to build your team and it, and it just kept growing. So it would just be approaching people part-time, right? Like, Hey, do you want to try this out for a month and see, see if you like it? And now, like I say, everybody, this, we went to dinner when we were in Vegas recently and we had uh, like a staff dinner and I looked down and we had this giant family table. There had to be 12 people at the table. And I was like, wow, this has really come a long way in this amount of time. So it's going to continue to keep growing, but it started off with just the four of us. And then we brought in some, you know, professionals, like people who've worked in museums to consult us and work with us and give us some foundation on how to do it properly. And uh, and here we are. I mean, it's it's really crazy to think. I from the minute that I, we went to Vegas and I looked at the building that Mike was deciding on, which was like an old 
vintage flea market, you know, where everybody's got their own stalls selling their own stuff. And right next to the giant pink strip club, little darlings, I was like, this is wild. I can't, this is going to be a museum. Mm-hmm. And I was just a couple of weeks ago or a week ago, maybe, and walked through and I, my mind is blown on what this is. This is going to be pretty epic. Now, have you been doing anything else professionally in this time or has everything been focused on the museum? Like, No, I still, I mean, I still do touring. I just, um, one of the last tours I did, I went on the road with uh, Smashing Pumpkins and Jane's Addiction for that run. Oh, wow. I I was in the States when that was happening and I really wanted to try and go to one of those shows. What a bill. I wish you knew. I wish I knew. I could have had you out. So I I went and did that with the old team of Warped Tour veterans as well. It had been a long time since I'd done an arena tour and it was great. The shows were great. You know, a lot lot of challenges, but also great. And I also uh, am helping to build out this property, the Sad Summer Fest, which is, you know, essentially a smaller version of the Warp Tour with some some folks that uh, that come from that background. So that is something I still do every year is the Sad Summer Fest. But outside of that, yeah, I've, I've focused most of my energy on being home and, and getting this thing off the ground. I mean, do you have any time at home with the cat? <laughs> I do relax? now. I mean, I do now. I, it's because of the cats that I have time home. I, I would probably be moving around a lot more. And I think getting pets, which was not supposed to happen, was supposed to be, you know, foster fail. I got them and then I fell in love and I was like, oh, no, I guess these are my cats now. But I can't, you know, I, I have a trip coming up to Vegas soon next week and I, I have to really think about it now. I can't just be free free form going wherever i want whenever i want because i have to get people to come to my house and stay at my house now so i am i have readjusted my life to to home life i've lived in new york for 13 years now and probably been home about maybe eight of that well you've been traveling the world to gather artifacts for the museum um how complete is the wish list at this stage i think it's never going to be it's never going to be done it's going to be a, a constant work in progress right you're going to have your permanent exhibit then you are gonna have rotating exhibits there's just so much to get and i and i also think we've gotten so far just on a trust fall right like we we don't have any uh, proven proof of concept we're just saying trust us we can do this and I get a lot of this really great feedback that makes me feel great when I'm talking to people. They're like, oh, you're involved in this? Then we're just, let's go for it. We know that you're going to see this through and we know that your team will see this through. So I think once we get the doors open and people see what we've been able to accomplish, it's going to be way less of a heavy lift. Because right now it's like knocking on doors. Hey, do you want to be a part of this? And oh yeah, I'll get around to it. So we right now, when we open, it is what it is, and it will be constantly rotating. But I'm very, very impressed with what we what we've been able to accomplish and the stuff that we are going to be able to exhibit when we open the doors. Yeah, what you said there makes complete sense. It's a completely smaller scale of that same concept. But when I started this show, I wanted to obviously get a bunch of episodes in the can before launching. And at this point in time, podcasts weren't comedians that did them but there wasn't really any music podcasts and they weren't really respected in any way as legitimate media. So I was knocking on doors saying, Hey, I'm going to start this show. Do you want to be involved? And people were like, yeah, you know, maybe. And then, you know, I launched with Steve-O from Jackass as the first guest had John Lydon by episode 10. And then everyone's like, Oh yeah, I want to be on that show. And it yeah. is very much like that, isn't it? Is you, you put it out there to the world and you go, this is what it is, but it's much harder when it's no, you know, it's not out there for, for people to kind of, understand the concept support the concept and and get involved so that must have been a real struggle was there ever any moment where you were close to just going this is too big we can't we can't pull this off was there ever a moment where you felt like we can't do this today like every day i say that (laughs) this this is like like you said this is 50 years of music and it's and it means a lot to a lot of people and it's a passion project for us all but there you know, you have to be ready. You got to put on your thick skin, thick skin for the criticism because I know this from years of Warp Tour. Everybody's got their opinion of how it should have been done and why didn't you put this band? And if you're putting this band, why, you know, this person is shouldn't be in there for this 
this reason. So I, I'm going to stick with the concept. Like we said at Warp Tour is if you think you can do it better, then go ahead and go through the trials and tribulations that we did. You know, this is, this is. Um, good luck with that. Yeah. And it's our, it, it, like I say, there's going to be, there's going to be ways that people are going to criticize this. And I, and I get that, but we, we have to just know what we've accomplished so far. and know that there's, it's going to be always changing, always rotating, always getting bigger and better and, and growing. And we're going to, show a lot of people out there in this world what what our version of of punk is yeah for all of punk's amazingness and merits the one thing that has always disappointed me about the the culture is people's readiness to police it which kind of goes against the very idea of what it is uh and everybody as you say has got their own opinions and ideas that they believe to be better than the others and it's kind of like well it's not really about that um, but as you say, if you think you can do better, do better. So if I'm walking into the building now without giving too much away, can you sort of lay out for me what I'm seeing, what's happening, who's involved in terms of, you know, the historical figures and, and presentation? And as you go through, how does the story unfold? Can you give me a little bit of a, you know, a verbal guided tour? Sure, I can. I mean, I can do my version of it. Uh, we We are lucky enough to be working with Brian Ray Turcott, who would be an amazing guest for your show. If you if you're familiar with him, he did the book uh Hooked Up and Photocopied. Um, he's a, a massive, massive collector of some of the most archival punk stuff ever. And I want to give away a giant secret right now, but I, I guess I won't, about one of his personally owned artifacts that he wanted me to try on the other day, and I did, and it was incredible that I was wearing. I'm gonna tell you, Johnny Thunder's red leather jacket. I was wearing that at wow. some point. Uh, so I digress. When you walk in, you you know, you, the very first thing you're doing is walking into the gift shop. It's That's your first experience is, boom, I'm in here, I'm in the gift shop. And there's some pretty incredible stuff, like imagery-wise. I think we're going to be heavy on the imagery, like big murals, stuff like that. Uh, we're trying to do a lot more never-seen-before style imagery, uh, but we have an arsenal of incredible photographers that we're working with that, you know, for me, a lot of it, the photography is way more important than a guitar hanging on the wall, because that could be, you know, what's the story there? You have to figure that out yourself. You're looking at a photo and you're going, I can see what the story of this is, like what this moment is. So you, um, you walk in the gift shop and then you're going to head out towards the left. And that's, it's kind of like an intro room. Like what is punk to you? And that's filled with a variety of things. And then we're going, we continue. Now, is, it, is it like a mix of audio and visual? Yeah, there's going to be yeah. all sorts of audio, visual, uh, like I say, murals, um, artifacts. Uh, we are working with some different writers uh, to do, um, you know, essays around around the stuff that would specifically apply to, to an era, for example. Uh, but then, and then you basically are start, we're starting a chronological look at, at punk. Um, and, and through the different, uh, you know, globally through, but through the decades, punk through the decades, and then you'll split off and there'll be different vignettes that are like, but you, you are following around chronologically on the bottom floor into, you know, the early punk into the late nineties. Um, there's where does it, some... where does it stop? Is that where it stops kind of the millennium? Um, yeah. On the, on the bottom floor. Right. So that's the lower floor. Um, and there's going to be a special exhibit that Fletcher's working on that you'll all just have to wait and see. Um, but again, it's like mostly a, a chronological look, but you know, little pop outs, a little surprises of, 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 Oh, okay. This, I had no idea. I wouldn't expect I would have seen this here. And then you go, um, you would go through the bar. There's a beautiful bar that's going to be there. Punks and bars go hand in hand, don't they? Um, mm -hmm. So there's a bar that's, uh, and it's not open to the public. It's only belong, you only go to this bar if you've gone to the Punk Rock Museum. It's not like, oh, let me just go to the bar at the Punk Rock Museum. It's part of the experience. So you go to the bar uh, and then you head upstairs um, where we have a really small tattoo shop and then we're having a, ch a chapel. So you are doing that. I saw Fletcher recently and he was telling me about the, you know, getting married, sitting Nancy style in the chapel. And I was like, that's genius. 
So that that that, yeah. that idea is being explored, yeah. Yeah, we are we are definitely doing weddings. We're working with some elopement companies to like do packages like that. Um, but we're also utilizing that room in another way. Like we, you know, there's so many people in our in our music scene that have passed away, and recently a very good friend of a lot of us is O. He was a legend, and you know, decades on the road with so many bands. So we, part of that chapel when it's not being used because we're not really doing weddings during. Uh, opening hours is we're going to use that as like kind of a bit of a memorial room to all of our you know that like an epitaph to all the people who've been coming gone rest in punk area um and then you that brings you up to kind of the 2000s area and that's you know a variety of stuff that happened in the 2000s we're going to have some uh rotating exhibits with some photographers uh that are coming in around imagery and lifestyle, not necessarily, you know, just a bunch of pictures, but what, what a scene would, would uh, be about with imagery. Um, so a lot of that 2000s, that's kind of my, my pocket up there because I, that's what I did for whatever, right. Since the nineties. I guess you would have seen all those bands coming up, those young pups mold into adults and superstars and. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, some of them are still my, my lifelong friend, I was, you know, I was not to be name dropping, but I was talking about this museum and I go, gosh, there's some people I haven't told, like really good friends, like Tom Morello, who is a good friend of mine since way back in Lollapalooza. And I go, Tom, did I tell you we're opening up a punk rock museum? He's like, no, you <laughs> did not tell me. And so, you know, and you forget, right? And you're just like, oh, I, I get so excited about this. And even when I was out with Smashing Pumpkins, everybody in that crew and the Jane's Addiction crew, they're like, this is wild. I can't, this is amazing to open up this this sort of place. So, you know, you you forget, not everybody maybe fits in that your cookie cutter punk rock band. And and to be fair, there's bands that we've reached out to that, and I'm not gonna name any names, but that say, no, we, you know, we don't wanna be involved. We, we don't consider ourselves a punk band. And I said, it's not necessarily about the music you play. It's about a, it's about a lifestyle, right? It's about doing it DIY and how you come up in a van to working, doing arenas. Now, this is kind of what that story is. It's not necessarily like you pay, play punk music. We consider you a DIY band. Well, Jane's Addiction for me are a classic example of a rock band that came directly from the punk scene. Like you can trace their roots directly to the same places as like, you know, the germs and, and whatever else. Um, fascinating for me about that time period as well and whether it's the chili peppers or you know like pearl jam all of those kind of 90s alternative bands for me all of their roots were all in the 80s punk scene and it's, yeah. ama it's amazing how much it kick-started and inspired and ignited across the whole board yeah i mean riot girl all of that stuff i mean i still think riot girl even though it was from that you know the um, Kurt Cobain, the grunge, that grunge world, it was still very, very punk to me, right? The right girl stuff. So, um, are you, you going to have a Seattle section? Yeah, there's going to, there's definitely stuff like that going on, different, different, uh, shadows like that. But we were working on something that's kind of, uh, we were calling then and now and saying, like, okay, here's this band. If there wasn't this band, there wouldn't have been this band. Like, an example could be the Plasmatics and, Amol and the Sniffers, right? Like it's not because they're both these wild females in a band, but you can you can definitely see the influences, right? Like who there's got to be some influences from that time. So that's that's something like a, a, you know one of the exhibits that I'm working on with Mike that will ebb and flow. Like I say, you you can't be too rigid with this museum. You can have an idea of what you want. Like I say, we cherry pick out. Like we want to get this specific thing. And if you don't get it, then you have to go on to the next thing. It's it's a wish list and it, it will be what it is based off what we have. I guess as well, is there a time limit on, on certain loaned items? Like there's some people saying you can have this for a year or so, but you can't have it. Yeah, I think that's what's really different about us at the Punk Rock Museum, that people are really excited that they can loan things and then have them back. I mean, I think a typical term is, three to five years. And and I think also what people are saying is like, well, I would give it to you, but if this museum doesn't 
you know, if, if you guys close, I want to get my stuff back, but there's been a lot of donations. And the one room I forgot to talk about when we get upstairs is the one that I think Mike and everybody else is most excited about. It's not that exciting to me, but everybody loves this room and it's the jam room. And it's, I keep thinking guitar center every time I think about this place, but a lot of, a lot of, no um, stairway. <laughs> yeah. Like, so a lot of different musicians, including Mike Fletcher, Pete from Pete from the Addicts and Pete from Sick of It All. And uh, a lot of people have donated um, a lot of mics, actually. I just realized this Mike MXPX. A lot of different musicians have uh, donated instruments for hand on experience. So we're getting some amps in there that are, you know, monitored and one one person at a time can go in this room and pick up any one of these instruments and and play it. So you're actually playing Mike's bass or you're actually playing Fletcher's guitar. You're actually playing, you know, somebody else's instrument and you get there's that's going to be a big experience for a lot of people who care about instruments. I said, I'm good with it as long as it's not guitar center, right? Like soundproof this thing. Nobody wants to be in a museum all day and just hear some kid playing Roham. Oh, could you imagine? <laughs> Losing it. I mean, I'm not going to be working there, but if I was working there, I'd be like soundproof that thing. I love that people are going to have that experience, but for me, it's like I had to have to be honest. I kind of fought that one. I was like, "Ew, no, I don't want that." Well, it's but a mu it's a muso thing, isn't it? And I think there's been people that I've interviewed over the years, and I ask them no questions about their gear because it doesn't interest me because I'm not a musician. And you get right. people who are like, "Why wouldn't you ask him about what amps he play?" And I'm like, "Well, you can interview him, and you can ask that, but yeah. I don't play guitar, so I don't care." <laughs> yeah, that's what I think too, right? I'm like, "Oh, who cares? Whatever about that." <laughs> It's, if it looks cool then great it's got a bunch of stickers on it and awesome love it let's let's do that but yeah that's i love everything that's going on in there but for me it's like i'd probably just pass right by that room not even not even care about it well listen lisa as we approach the hour there's a couple more things i want to touch on before i let you go and i just wanted to say just on a personal level as well it's been really lovely Although our conversations have kind of been stop-starty, it's been nice over the last year or so getting to know you a bit better. And it's been awesome today, you know, hearing more about your life and your story. And, yeah, I think you're an amazing person who's, you know, led a wonderful, colourful, exciting life. And, um, you know, your contributions to, to the music scene do, do not go unnoticed and, and unappreciated. Um, your art as well, because I had Emily on the show a while back and I'm aware that you're kind of involved in that collective of, of creatives as well. Um, have you always been interested in creating your own collages and, and visual art? And is that something you try to work on whenever you get the time? And uh, if people want to check out what you're, you, what you're doing, where is the best place to head? Great. Well, thank you so much for all of those kind words. Uh, I really enjoy what you're doing as well. Like I say, this I love the concept. I live on podcasts. Like I, that's what I'm doing when I'm cleaning the house or whatever I'm doing. I'm like a podcast person. That's, that's kind of my, I don't turn on the TV. I'm listening. I'm like a listener. I like to pay attention that way. So I really appreciate your contribution as well. Um, art. You. Yeah. You know, I, I've always uh, done it in some way, shape or form, like anything from wardrobe and beyond. Like I did a couple of the gimme gimme's record covers. Um, styling and wardrobe and stuff like that and i've always did you do the um the fez hat style gold suit cadillac gimme gimme's are a drag we did that um mona and i both worked on that together and uh streets of san francisco worked on oh. that together but Amazing. we put together all those costumes for the gimme gimme's are a drag which was such a fun fun thing to do so um but yeah my you know my mom was uh a creative so she was always painting or something in the background so i've since I was a kid, I was doing those like contests in the back where you draw the Jiminy Cricket and send it in or draw Elvis or never really, never really did anything with it. And then during the pandemic, I was literally losing my mind. Like, what am I going to do with myself all this time? Um, besides just drink gallons of whiskey. <laughs> so I go, I've got to do something creative, creative outlet. And I realized I had all these magazines around and it just just kind of came naturally to me like I love I like it because it's it is a visual art and it's there's no rules kind of like punk like you anything goes in collage whatever you want whatever you can dream up nobody's gonna say you know you colored outside of the lines or you know that's not the, that's not the right color combination whatever it is it just 
it, it just happens, right? Like just happens for me. And then loads of people started to support me as, as far as like sending me magazines to use, which really makes all the difference in the world. You run out of material, source material, right? So I, people were sending me magazines from all over the place. And then people who were around me who were seeing what I were making was saying, why don't you share this? Why, why aren't you like posting this or putting it up? And I was like, oh, it's just for me really to, to kill some time. And so I did start a social media for it, which is called miss.elanius, uh, at miscellaneous. So if, if you could verbally spell that out, miscellaneous. But I, I refused to attach it to my own personal name because I didn't want people to like what I was doing because they knew it was mine. I wouldn't say that it was mine. I would just say, if you like, then I would see who would actually like it versus who, you know, was going, oh, let's just click yes, because it's Lisa. Mm -hmm. So I let that go for a little while. And and then much to my wonderful surprise, people wanted to buy it. They would say, is this for sale? Or, you know, can you, can I, uh, can I get you to, um, what do you call it when you commission? Can I commission you to do some stuff? And I started doing that. I started bringing some money in you know, just a little, nothing, nothing too big. Cause well, you don't know what, I don't know what to charge for, for art. Yeah. It's art. How do you, how do you equate that to, to a dollar amount? But um, the more it took off, the more I got interested in it. And uh, I, I've now done a couple record covers for uh, Amberetta. Um, Emily got me and Emily was really big in supporting me and like getting me to, to come out and do a, a show with her. Right. She's like, just come out here and do a show. And I was so surprised. I sold like, I don't know, five or six pieces at that show, my first show ever. And I realized when I was doing that, that that was the first thing that I'd ever done for myself. Like I, I'm always doing something for other people, tour managing or putting a tour together or creating a, you know, a image for a record cover, but I've never done my own art and my own show for me. So that was a pretty exciting, pivotal moment to, to stay motivated to do it well hopefully the first of many more as well i really like what you do and uh yeah it's nice to just as you say be known for just like the work that you make not for who you are and what you've done in the past and so to be able to like you find that audience just off the art on you know it, itself um is awesome and then people do find out and they're like now i like it twice as much because it's yeah. lisa yeah <laughs> It's been great. And you know what? It's so funny to me because like I say, I suffer from insomnia. And when I do, like, I just want to get up and make something. Even in the middle of my work day when I'm working, I, all of a sudden I'll get this idea and I'll think of something. And I got, I got to make, I want to make that. Like, I just want to get up and make it and I'll stop like for my lunch break and just create. It's almost like it has to happen now. It's not like I, I just, let me, oh, I should make something. It just is is forced out of me now to do it. And it's great. I woke up this morning earlier than expected with my insomnia and, and instantly made something right. Well, you've and awakened, I, you've awakened the beast now, so you've got to just get it out. <laughs> I just live in a small apartment in New York, so I can't, you know, everyone's like, can you make this big size? And I go, no, if you can get me a bigger apartment or space to work, I can. Otherwise I'm subject to, you know, eight by 10 space, what that is maybe who knows maybe eventually i'll get a get a studio or something but i just use my resources i have now and see what becomes of it well it's worked out pretty well for you so far right you seem like a pretty resourceful person to me uh you have to be if you are <laughs> single lady living alone you have to be resourceful you, you know you got to figure out how to get that pickle jar open no matter how much strength you have i like that analogy that's good um, well, listen, Lisa, you're a badass. And uh, like I said, I, I cherish and value the the kind of times that we've gotten to know each other more over the last couple of years. I look forward to more of this in years to come. And uh, thank you for, for coming no, on the show. I'm so, you know what? I feel completely re-energized now. Like I, when, when we started this, I'm like, eh, I might be a little boring because I'm tired. And I used to never want to talk about myself. Never, never, never. Like I refused to do interviews and I, I just wouldn't do it i didn't want to do it at all and then is this your first ever podcast i was trying to find one with you on and there was nothing on, no, on the podcast I've done, I've done a lot. i did one with um with arturo when he was still alive called going off track that was really really good uh and i've just did with um punk rocket i just did that but 
Yeah, I mean, after we after Warped Tour did uh, Warped Roadies, and and I had to talk. You know, Kevin made me talk at all the all the stuff like the intro and outro of the tour. So I got I'm talking a lot more now. But I used to be like, no way, no how, not doing it. And now I'm like, yeah, why not? Who else is going to talk about me besides me? <laughs> and as I find all the time, when you are in a bit of a funky headspace, whether it's fatigue or you know something else, a good conversation does you know bring out the good good feelings and so hopefully uh you know what is it now 1 p.m your time you're ready to go and seize the rest of the day yeah i got now we're going back to back zoom meetings this is far more exciting than a zoom meeting the rest is like you know boring pencil pushing (laughs) yeah well thanks thanks again i cannot wait to uh to share this when it comes out and um and i would love to keep sending people your way i really feel like uh brian ray would be excellent candidate for and he and he would love to do it he could he could probably give you a way better deeper dive on, on more of the exhibit stuff since that's kind of his world but it's going to be badass i can say that yeah let's definitely talk more i'm actually going to put this probably out tomorrow as well so just get it out there in the world so i'll let you know when it's up and yeah and let's talk soon all right excellent have a good rest of your day thank you again for having thank me you, lisa Bye. have a good one bye-bye deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.